Welcome to the Become New Me podcast with John Orbert. This is Passage to Wisdom, Episode 38, Value Others. Hey, this is John Orberg, and here's a word for today that will give you and me plenty to do. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in everything, value others above yourself. Let you, let each of you, look not to your own interest, not to your own agenda, but to the interests of others. In all your relationships, let your mindset, your attitude, your posture, your orientation towards life and towards people be like that of Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God to be grounds for grasping, to be uh, a rationale for enriching himself. He didn't use his privilege, we might say in our day, for self-enrichment but poured himself out, gave himself over to the well-being of others. Now, if you're just looking for life change, for something to keep you busy all day long that will make a difference in the world, then that's really all you need and you can sign off now. Today, nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, me, 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 ego, but everybody that you're with, seek to value them above yourself. And really, that's all you need, and you can save yourself another eight minutes or so. However, if you'd like to reflect a little bit more fully on the nature of what does it mean to actually believe this, as opposed to just professing it, stay tuned. Because there is this great irony that many of us who claim to believe in Jesus, to believe that he was in very nature God, that he was divine and became human and emptied himself, find ourselves not actually living the way that Jesus lived. And in fact, although he was the most inclusive of people, his followers, you and me, if that's us, often become quite exclusive and shut people out. How can this be? We're in the series called uh, Passage to Wisdom, thinking about great words from great minds. And this is from C.S. Lewis, Old Uncle Screwtape, writing to the young tempter Wormwood because his human being, who is a Christian, has been drawn into a circle of remarkable, quite spiritually mature people. And he's tempted to think that he belongs there and not to realize the extent to which he is accepted on the basis of grace and mercy and the willingness to bear with his faults. And I'm that way and you're that way. And here's what old Uncle Screwtape writes. He's like a dog, which should imagine it understood firearms because its hunting instinct and love for its master enabled it to enjoy a day's shooting. That's an analogy that probably wouldn't be uh, used in our day. Here's your chance, Uncle Screwtape writes. While the enemy, that is God, is drawing the young barbarian up to levels he could never have otherwise reached, you must make him feel that he is finding his own level. And this is a constant temptation in the spiritual life for me to think I am entitled to or I have merited what is actually being given to me, including relational love from other people because somehow I deserved it because of my brains or my um, strength or my attractiveness. You must make him feel he's finding his own level, that these people are his sort, and that coming among them he has come home. 
instead of realizing, no, I'm being accepted by people as I am by God because of grace. When he turns from them to other society, he will find it dull. Partly because almost any society within his reach is dull. In fact, much less entertaining. But still more because he will miss the enchantment of the young woman with whom he's fallen in love. Now, here's the key point. You must teach him to mistake this contrast between the circle that delights and the circle that bores him for the contrast between Christians and unbelievers. He must be made to feel, he'd better not put it into words, how different we Christians are. And by we Christians, he must really but unknowingly mean my set. And by my set, he must mean not the people in, who in their charity and humility have accepted me, but the people with whom I associate by right. Success here, Uncle Screwtape writes, depends on confusing him. And we've seen this notion in the Screwtape letters all the time that reason is always on the side of God and of faith. What you want is to keep a sly self-congratulation mixing with all his thoughts. And never allow him to raise the question, what precisely am I congratulating myself about? And thus, following Jesus becomes impossibly, paradoxically, a source of spiritual pride. Now, part of what got Jesus in big trouble was that he was the great includer. From the very beginning of sin fallenness, one of the oldest ways, maybe the most fundamental way, that we in our fallen, broken nature, out of ego, divide people up is into my group and the other group, the in-group and the out-group. And there's been all kinds of research around this. There was a very famous study called the Robber's Cave Experiment. It was set in a park called Robber's Cave where they put young boys, 11-year-old boys, into two different groups arbitrarily. And the amount of conflict and hostility that got broached was quite staggering. And this kind of research has been repeated over and over and over. It's found that if you put people into groups on purely an arbitrary basis, just flip coins and put them in the group, and they know that they're in a coin flip group, they will be unfair to each other. They will, they will um, favor the people in their in-group, and they will discriminate against people in the out-group. They will like each other, again, for purely arbitrary reasons based on the group to which people are assigned. You're in my group, I like you. You're in the other group, I don't like you. They will wear uh, indicators, badges of what group they're a part of that will make them feel better. Uh, studies have shown that on university campuses, after the football team wins, people are more likely to wear the t-shirt of their college than they are on the weekend after their team has lost. So then, becoming a follower of Jesus can actually cause me to become proud and prejudiced and discriminate against people who are outside. Now, with Jesus, he's the great includer. Part of what got him into big trouble was that he would include Samaritans, that he would include lepers, people that were considered unclean, that he would have fellowship with 
tax collectors and sinners, that he would have spiritual conversations with prostitutes. He was constantly breaking down barriers to Jesus. It's like there was no my group and their group. It was like everybody is in my group, everybody I love, and anybody who will be a part of me, who will follow me, who will open themselves up to me, I see their beauty and their worth. Why are we not more that way? Well, this gets to that question I was posing at the very beginning. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but value others. Do I believe in that or do I just profess it? Now, to profess something is to claim to believe it's true. Maybe even I think I believe it's true because in the moment uh, I feel quite certain of it. To believe something is to be ready to act as though it were true. So, for example, in the Bible, it says it is more blessed to give than to receive. Now, I might profess that. I might say, yes, I believe the Bible. I think that I do. And therefore, I must believe that statement. But am I prepared to act as though it were true? Well, I have to actually look at my money. I have to look at my bank account to find out, do I really believe it or do I just profess it? In our day, often we will hear a lot about worldview and the importance of having a Christian worldview and how bad it is that there are many people who do not believe in the existence of God or do not believe in moral absolutes. And of course, following Jesus involves an understanding of the world that way. But here's another critical distinction. There's a difference between my worldview, which is something I profess, and my mental map about how things are. The Pharisees had a great worldview. The Pharisees believed deeply in moral absolutes. But they did not have Jesus' mental map about the way things are. They did not believe at that level, at the level of the mental map, that God is taking care of me and so I can be generous with other people. Or believe that every human being is deeply loved by the God whose image they incarnate. And therefore, I want to love and accept them also. And too often in the church, in our day, we end up in arguments over worldview without recognizing that I'm not actually living out of Jesus' mental map. And Jesus came to bring us not just a professed worldview, but a lived-out mental map. I think about a very good friend of mine who trying to figure out, do I want to keep on in my job? I don't really have to. I could retire at this point. And then he was saying to me, I figured out what I would do with my salary for the next six months if I keep working. And I figured he'd found something he really wanted to buy. And what had happened was he thought of somebody who really needed the money. And he said, I could give him the money and that would really motivate me to work. And I was inspired and humbled by that. Now see, that's somebody who believes at the mental map level, it is more blessed to give than to receive. So there it is, today. Ask, not just what do I profess, but what am I prepared to act as though it's true? God, reveal to me the condition of my own heart and mind. Today, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but value other people, everybody that I meet with, the person at the store, the person with whom I work, the person that I'm emailing online, the person that lives in the apartment or the house where I live, the person I'm texting. 
I'm going to try to do that today. And I'll talk to you next time. Thanks for joining us. Receive alerts for new episodes by texting the word become to the number 56525. Or invite a friend by sharing the link becomenew.me.